So this morning, we're going to be talking about this. Let me set it up a little bit. The reality is for every born-again believer, everyone that surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, we're going to have to go before the Bema seat of Christ. Have you heard that? The Bema is just Greek for the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. You good with that? But so I don't know about you, but I know a lot of us in this room have been in courtrooms before. And And, and the thought of going in a courtroom and sitting before a judge can be a kind of a fearful, overwhelming reality, right? Not knowing what's going to happen. But let me encourage you with this. All of us that are born again believers, when we go before the Bema seat of Christ, all of us are going to hear the words, not guilty. Amen? We're all going to hear not guilty. Not because of our own good works, our own good deeds. We're going to hear not guilty, every one of us, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, amen. So, so we're going to hear that because we're not covered in our own righteousness, but we've been declared righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ, and, we, and we've entrusted our lives to that truth. So we should have no fear facing the beam of seed of Christ. We should look forward to it. There's going to be a separating of the goat and sheep, and all the goats have to go away, and then all of us sheep will be there, and one by one we're going to be called before the beam of seed of Christ. Now, so we're going to be not guilty, but the other reality, the convicting reality is that we're all going to be judged by our good and bad deeds. You with me on this? Now, what is that judgment about? It's about our rewards. It's about what rewards we're going to see for eternity. And you know, one of the, we'll see that one of the driving forces of Paul's life is he was always focused on those that reward ceremony. He wanted to live a life so well before the Lord that when he got there, he would hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and he would receive the crowns of Jesus, the, the various crowns for, for rewarding him for the life that he lived. And that should be our motivation. That's what we're going to talk about today, is that the good news is we're all still here. We're all still alive. We can all still gain more rewards for that day of judgment. And I'm going to lay out for you this morning specific teachings from the Word of God and applications on how you can store up more rewards for yourself in heaven. Are you good with that? Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we go through this text. Now, let, you know what we've been talking about for a number of weeks as we've worked through 1 Corinthians is really this great battle in our life of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. That's really the battle we're all dealing with. And if we're, we're really truthful, truthful with ourselves is that we've all adopted some worldly wisdom and some godly wisdom as believers. And so the idea here is that it's, it's what are we building our life on? You see, the, that the temptation of the world is that we should build our life on the things of the world to achieve the rewards of the world. Money, thing, possessions, popularity, power, and all the rest of it. So that, that's the counterfeit, is the world says, I have an alternative for you to invest your life in the kingdom of God. I have an alternative to you so you won't gain those rewards for heaven. I'm going to give you rewards right now. Wasn't that one of the temptations of Jesus? I'll give it to you right now. Here's a shortcut. I'll give you all these things now. And, and Satan continues with that same deception with us. He wants us to pursue the treasures and things of the world as our, as our rewards for worldly wisdom. So, so that battle goes on, and, and so the question we have to ask ourselves as we stop and examine ourselves as we're going through this world at 1,000 miles an hour is, how much of my time 
talent, treasures is being invested in eternal rewards of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I certainly know now at my age that the truth is that my life is but a mist. It sneaks up on you. And, and you know, it, you, you, all of us that are older, we want to finish well. We, we want to realize as many rewards as we can in the kingdom of God. Some of you are young. You're going to be deceived, and life's going to blast past you, and you're going to wake up one day and say, you know what? I really didn't pay enough attention to the eternal rewards of God. So today we'll do a reset, hopefully, and, and, and refocus our attention. Let me show you a few scriptures as I'm setting up the text this morning. Um, about building our life on Jesus Christ. The key verse for this morning out of our text would be 1 Corinthians 3.11. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.20 says, Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, I want you to get this, that the most important foundation of our life is we need to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. When he says he's the cornerstone, that's the most important stone of the foundation. That is the the stone that the walls align to and the leveling of the building. If the cornerstone's not placed right, the whole building will not survive the storms of life. If we do not build our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we too will not survive the storms that come at us. So look at this next thing. It says, so we're supposed to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. I don't know, sometimes I think Paul might have been not only a tent builder, but an architect. It says, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? So are you getting this picture that Jesus Christ is the foundation that we're supposed to build our lives on, and then we're called to build on that foundation in our lives? What do we build with? What do we build our lives with on this foundation? Thank you. The Word of God. What else? Come on, church. Obedience to the Word. Good. Like that, Ann. Yep. Faith. Yeah, Demetrius. Faith. We build it with prayer, right? And we build it within the other supernatural thing, which is the body of believers. So good answers. The Word of God is what we build our lives on, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We build our lives through being prayer warriors, each one of us. And we build our lives by being in the fellowship of believers, the supernatural body of Christ. We have to show up. And so that's what he's saying. Build your life on these things. Build your life on on the teaching of the apostles, the word of God. Build your lives up on the foundation of Jesus through prayer and through through being committed to a body of believers. Now look at this. It continues this building scenario. It says, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is awesome, brothers and sisters. As Ed even talked about the announcements, is we've each been given different gifts and different abilities and different spiritual gifting. And what he's saying is that... so. We have this foundation of Jesus Christ, which is, is what we're building our lives on. We're all being faithful to the word of God, faithful to prayer, faithful to meeting in the fellowship. But then another part of this is we're to help each other build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
We, we come to Christ alone, but we build the sanctification, this transformed life together. That's just the way God designed it, this, this supernatural body of believers. We have to be engaging with each other's lives to be built up to be the building God wants us to be. Is everybody with me on this? And then one last truth on this before we get in the text is look at this last one, Ephesians 2.20 says, in him you're also being built together, together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the picture here, I love this, we're not all these little individual buildings, right? So as, as we faithfully build our own lives on the Word of God, prayer, and the fellowship of believers, and we get together and help each other build their lives on the Word of God, prayer, and fellowship, then we actually are building together our lives. One body, one bride of Christ, if you will, that we're building up together for, for, for Jesus Christ. That's the picture of this, uh, this building process that, that Paul's talking about. So with that, let's get into the scripture for this morning. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 17. Our dear brother Charles is going to open the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 17. And if you would please stand in reverence for God's word. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Amen. Amen. Appreciate it. So let's work our way through this uh, scripture verse by verse. I love how Paul starts this off. He says, according to the grace of God given to me. You know, Paul... Paul could open up in a lot of ways to, to the Corinthian church. I mean, the Corinthian church has been backsliding. We've got all kinds of sin going on. Uh, their culture is similar to ours. There's a lot of wealth, but there's sexual immorality and drunkenness. And they're, they're, we'll hear all these things as we continue to go through 1 Corinthians. Paul could have said, hey, I am the guy that God chose to build the church. I am the one God selected to be the apostle to the Gentiles. How dare you? I am the one that God miraculously saved on the road to Damascus so that he could use me in building the church. I spent 18 months of my life in that church. How dare you? But what does Paul say? Only by God's grace. I am but a humble servant. I've been saved by grace. I'm being li I live by grace. And I, the only reason I was able to come there and plant that church was by the grace of God. Let me just show you something about humility of Paul, because to me, this is the mortar 
of the building process of a Christian life. Look at the progression. I've shared this with you before, but it's an important thing to be reminded of is the progression in Paul's life. 1 Corinthians 59, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. Do you see that? He said, of, course, of all these great apostles of God that Jesus chose, I'm the least of these great apostles. Are you with me? Then five years later, he writes the letter to the, to the Ephesians. And here now, look what happens to his humility. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So five years later, he's no longer the least of the great apostles. He goes, you know what? I'm the least of the believers. Do you see the change in his humility? And look at the end of his life when he writes 1 Timothy. It's about four years later after the letter to Ephesians. He said, here's a trustworthy saying, deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. So no longer the least of the apostles, no longer the least of the, of the believers. Now I consider myself the worst of sinners. This, brothers and sisters, is the required heart attitude to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ is humility as we come before the throne of grace. Who here has been saved by the grace of God? Amen. Who here is being transformed by the grace of God? Who here is God using to bring life to the lost and equip the saints by the grace of God? It's all by the grace of God. So humility is what we see. Back to the text, it says, according to the grace of God given to me in my great humility. He says, like a skilled master builder. Do you see that? That would be, in our language, be he's the architect and the general contractor. He said, this by the grace of God, I was the one God chose to come out there. It's only by his grace. I spent 18 months working day and night, building this foundation of Jesus Christ, sharing the word of God, making disciples. That was my life. And he says, with a skilled master builder with great wisdom, he, he built the, the foundation of the church. You know, one of the, kind of just a comment about this, where you see the great wisdom of God as he works building the church through Paul, is when Paul came into a town, where did he go first to preach the word of God? Synagogues, thank you. The synagogues. And, but, you know, he, he proclaimed he's the, the apostle of the Gentiles, but the gospel is to be shared with the Jews first. But I want to show you the, the, the master builder, why he would do that. He would go into these towns, he would start to share the gospel in the synagogues, and some Jews would get converted. In fact, in Corinth, it was the head of the synagogue that got converted with a few other Jews. Why is that important to build the church? The Jews were the only ones that had the word of God. These, when he goes into the Gentiles and starts converting them, they've never seen the Word of God before. They have no idea what the Word of God says. So as a master builder, he comes to the synagogue, he preaches the Word, a few of the Jews would get saved, and then they always kicked him out of the synagogue, as we know. They'd kick him out, but now he's got a few workers. So now as he goes to the Gentiles and they get saved, he's got other people that can sit down with the Bible and start discipling the new believers. That's a master builder that he was as, he, as God used him to build the church. Now it says, and someone else is building upon it. Paul's saying, my job is not to stay and be a pastor of your church for 25 years. I am an architect builder. God calls me from city to city. I lay the foundation, 
and then God sends someone else to build on it. That's just what God's design was for Paul. In fact, he specifically said, I do not want to preach the gospel anywhere it's been preached before. I want neutral ground where they've never heard the gospel. I don't want to build on anybody else's work. And so we know in Corinth who came to take over for Paul. Apollos. Who took over in Ephesus for Paul? Timothy. Yep, Timothy. So he's just saying, this, don't, don't be judging me. This is my call. This is my work. This is my gifting. And I'm going city to city to plant churches. And then someone else comes in to build on it. And then he gives us this application point, brothers and sisters. He said, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Do you see that? This applies to all of us. Take care in how you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Everybody that speaks the word of God, whether you're a pastor, teacher, mentor, discipler, believer, we have to be very careful on how we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I hear a lot of Christians just flippantly giving people counsel, which is a mixture of worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. We have to be very careful when someone comes to us talking about things like divorce or forgiveness or anger or whatever their situation is. We have to be very careful that we give them godly wisdom according to the word of God, not based on our life experiences and what the world says. Are you with me on this? And a lot of times the best thing to say is, I don't know. But you know what? Why don't we examine the word together to see what it says about those things you're struggling with? Together we'll go through and in today's tools, how hard is it to, to get an application Bible, look up a word or a struggle, and, and start to look up all the scriptures about a specific thing going on in someone's life? So we have to be careful, don't we, as we share the word of God. You know, I confess to you just a personal testimony. You know, when Ed talks about a breakfast meeting, I get envious. I would like to be at those breakfast meetings. I like... My previous ministry for 15 years was marketplace. You know what that consisted of? A lot of eating. You know, with business guys, we just did lunches and breakfasts. I mean, everybody was busy, but I met with Christian business owners. That was the context of ministry. It was hanging out with brothers. It was a lot of discipleship, and I missed that. But the reality is I work full-time. And so I have to be careful that when I stand up here on Sunday that I have properly studied the word to give you a meal of God's word in proper interpretation and context. So I will sacrifice those meals for now. We're praying for my retirement. We're praying for that. Al's working with me. He's helping me get there. But I, until then, I, can't, I have to be very careful. I, I don't want to be meeting and discipling and hanging and fellowshipping with all of you and then come here with nothing except stories about how my week went and when all the meals we ate together. The other thing, how we're careful in this church, is we do expository preaching. Because, see, we want to go word for word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the entire book. We're going to, we've been in 1 Corinthians, I don't know how many weeks. We were in Matthew for four years. We're going to carefully go through the Word of God. But why is it important that we're being careful? Because you know exactly what text is coming up next week. That's a way of holding your pastors accountable. I can't just come up and share 20 verses, and you'll have no idea if I do a topical teaching and I plop up 20 verses on here, whether they're in context or not. It's going too fast. I could easily be showing you verses that are totally out of context of what the original meaning was. Are you with me on this? 
So the other way we're careful is we really believe in expository preaching. Do we do topical? Yes, we do sometimes. But generally speaking, week after week, we believe in expository preaching. And you can go ahead and find out what's coming next. So anyway, that's some application out of this. Let each one take care and how they build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It applies to me. It applies to you. Is everybody doing all right? I mean, I had a couple weeks off, so I got a lot of stuff to share with you. You know, you shouldn't give me that long of a break. So look at this next verse. It says that, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is, I love this verse. So just stay with me on this. Again, with the Satan's attack, Satan's desire is to build other foundations. He wants to build other foundations. It can even be called the church, but he wants to build other foundations. Whatever he can do to rob the glory from Jesus, he will do by building other foundations. Are you with me on this? Now, some of the foundations in Paul's day when he's in the church of Corinth, and I know you know this, we've studied this, but what would come into the church would be Judaizers. Do you, know, you remember that? Do you know who they are? They're the Jews. And what they'd come into the church and say, listen, yeah, that's, that's great. You accepted Jesus as, your, as, your Messiah, as the Messiah. It's great that you surrender your life to Jesus. Now, that is your gateway into living the life of faith in the way the Jews did. That's what Judaizers did. So first thing, what did you have to do for men? Thank you. How come Ann's answering these? So the men were to be circumcised. You had to follow the dietary laws. You had to do the ritual washings. And they would, they would say, this is, this is what the real faith is about, is to be a Judaizer. That's the wrong foundation. You're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Other people that came into the church during Paul's day is called Gnosticism. Do you know what that is? I think Tyler's taught on this. Gnosticism, it was that secret knowledge. They, they, had, a, they had a deeper understanding of the spiritual world versus the physical world. And, and, and once you gain this special knowledge, then you were really a, a mature believer in the church. And the third one that I think we can relate to even more in our day is liberalism. You can live however you want. What does it say in Romans? Sin all the more so grace may abound. Right? It's okay. That's what Jesus died for. Go live however you want and then come back and confess and repent and you'll be fine. Thankfully, we don't have these false foundations in our day. Okay, good. Thank you. Good. Uh, do we have uh, Judaizers in our day? Yeah, we do. And I mean, we can point to the Catholic Church, right? What, what, what has the Catholic Church done to the gospel? Are you saved by grace alone and faith alone? We got a lot of ex-Catholics in here. No, what is it? You, you, have to, you have to show up at Mass. You have to take communion. You have to go to confession. You have the last rites. And on and on the list goes. They, they built another foundation upon the one true foundation of grace alone through faith alone. Now, I don't want to just single out Catholicism. The Protestants have done it as well. One of the big things in our day is social justice. Is social justice bad? No, it's not bad. It's not bad. Is it bad for me to want to have uh, justice in the world? Is it, is it bad for me to fight for the rights of the unborn? Is that bad? Is it bad for me to fight that people can have food and clothing and housing? Is that a bad thing to have social justice? No, it's not a bad thing. Did Jesus do that? Jesus restored the rights to women. Jesus restored the rights to the poor, the, the needy, 
the, the, the desperate sinner. He restored the right. It's social justice. But it's not the foundation. See, it's been the foundation. Now, it's becoming the foundation in a lot of the Protestant churches. It's not the foundation. Do we have Gnosticism? Yes, we have Gnosticism. We're going into the charismatic churches now. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not really a mature believer. You have to speak in tongues to be proved you're born again. Is that line up with the Word of God? That's a false foundation. And I don't even need to talk about liberalism, do I? No, I don't. But the point is, is it really hasn't changed. The battlefield is still there that we fight against these things. The only true foundation is Jesus Christ. Okay, let's get to the the reward ceremony here. So here we are with the Bema seat. They call you forward by name, right? You come forward. You ready for that? Excited about that? There's a couple billion people in the, in the audience watching you as you walk up before this Bema seat, which is full of fire, and there's lava flowing out from under it, and it's just glorious. And when Jesus speaks, it sounds like thunder, and he calls your name, and you come forward to give an account for your life. You ready? No, <laughs> Maurice wants a few more days. Yeah, I'm with you, Maurice. And, but this, this picture here is gold, silver, and precious stones. That's a, that's a picture of eternal rewards of God. Those are the eternal rewards that will c- carry with you forever and ever and ever. We all want those. And the picture of wood, hay, and straw are the things that get burned up at the day of judgment. Those are temporal uh, treasures. And by the way, the picture for the Jews, the context is, even sitting in Corinth, as they looked around at even all the temples of the false gods, those were all built with marble and stone. They were decorated with gold and silver and precious stones. Those were buildings that lasted forever in their mind. And the houses they built for their own residences were made out of mud, straw, wood, and hay. That didn't last forever. So, so it's this picture of eternal rewards versus temporal rewards as we come before the, the judgment seat of Christ. So let's be ready. Let's dig into this a little bit. I want to give you a clear picture of this. I pray that, that you would uh, really see this clearly uh, in your minds. So here's the picture for us, brothers and sisters, is we need to be serious about building our life on the Word of God, building our life on prayer, and building our life through the fellowship of believers. That is how we position ourselves for eternal rewards. You got that? So it, if you want to know how to do it, it's not making a, a good works list to try to earn the favor of God. It doesn't work that way. This is where people get skewed on this. I'm just telling you, it's a big deal. The way to build up eternal rewards for heaven is by becoming a man or woman of God which comes from a disciplined life of being serious about the word, serious about prayer, and serious about the fellowship of the body. See, because what happens is you become a serious uh, person of the word of God and prayer and the fellowship. What happens is that the good works begin to flow out of you supernaturally. It's not a to-do list. It comes out of you because of who you become in Christ Jesus. You know, you remember that seat where Jesus says, hey, when you visit me in prison, 
when you gave me a drink of water, when you gave me clothes? And how did the believers respond? When do we do that? I don't remember doing any of that. See, that, that's what a believer is. And, and there, there should be times in your life right now when someone says, hey, thank you for doing this and that. You say, what? I just was doing what I, that was nothing special to me. Are you following me on this? So, so it's, it, it's, this, it is, it's supernatural outflow of a person that is very well connected to God. It's, it's, it comes out of a deep intimacy with Jesus. It comes from spending time on your face and your knees before the throne of grace, and he starts to transform you, and you start to be a different person, and you start to live differently than the world. That's how you get the eternal treasures of heaven. Now, wood, hay, and straw are people that come to church. They can... You all right? Need some water? Okay. The, um, the picture here is people that, that they, they come to church on Sunday. They may come to Bible study. They may do little devotions in the morning. Um, but really, when you look at their life, their life is really more about the world than it is about Jesus. Are you still with me, everybody? Okay. So... So, and you know what, they'll make lists of things to do, and they may do a lot of good works, and they may write checks to ministries, they may do a lot of things, but, but all that gets burned up. Remember, a lot of people say, hey, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Did we not blah, blah, blah? They, they have a lot of things they can talk about, they did, but what does Jesus say to those people? I did, not, I did not know you. It's based on the intimacy, the intimate relationship with me, which is what determines what is eternal and what is temporal. This is a big truth, brothers and sisters. I hope you're taking this in. This is huge. This is different between one that stands up there and everything gets burned away and one that stands up there and they have some eternal rewards at the end of their life. It's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you examine the religious person that's living in this more about temporal rewards and, and they're doing a lot of good works and they're, by the way, they're keeping track of all those things, but you, what you really see is a more of a self-focus, a self-righteousness, a self-centeredness in their life. Very little sacrificial life. The other person is, is intimate with Jesus, and there's a, there's a supernatural love for God, a supernatural love for brothers and sisters, a supernatural love for the lost that flows out of that person that, and that drives their life. And let me say this too, that it's not about some big thing you're going to do to get a reward. Don't think that way. Someday I'm going to be on the Billy Graham evangelistic team and I'm going to store up some rewards in heaven. The, the, really, the accumulation of our eternal rewards is a bunch of small decisions and choices we make every day. Those are the rewards of heaven. So don't be putting notches in your belt. That's not how it works. It's, hear this. It's not what we do as much as who we become that will determine our eternal rewards. It's who we are when we stand before the throne of grace. And all of us should be standing up there not realizing, and all of a sudden he goes, well, you did, oh, I, oh, wow. I didn't know that was, I didn't even remember doing that. I can't believe I'm getting a reward for that. Let me just give you a simple illustration to help you understand this. There's two people cleaning the church. I'm going to give you some simple scenarios here. Two people cleaning our little oasis church. One person comes in, and as they're cleaning, 
They're thinking about, I, make, I want to make sure I tell the pastor about this, how dirty the windowsills were. I want to make sure I tell the pastor about how many bulletins were left up after the Wayside graduation on Tuesday. And they're going through and they're making sure that they're going to get the applause of man as they do this good work, right? Then someone, the other guy in here cleaning, or gal in here cleaning, they're singing to the Lord and they're just cleaning to the Lord and they have no intention of the applause of man. And they're going, oh, you know, I know who sits here. I want to make sure this is real clean. And as we come in on Sunday morning, a lot of us don't pay much attention to that. We just come in and say, wow, the church is clean like some angel came in and did it. But no, people are cleaning the church. And they sit there and they just praise the Lord that we have the privilege of coming into a clean church to worship the Lord. Do you see the difference? Two people doing evangelism. One has a day they do it every week. Not that that's bad, but it's a day they do it and they're out there and they're pushing people to say the prayer. Come on, pray with me. Pray with me and accept the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they're putting notches in their belt and then they come back to church. Hey, I led three people to Christ this week. Let me tell you about them. It's one guy, he was really lost and man, we got into it and Boy, I got him to pray the prayer, and he's in the kingdom now. The, the other person is evangelizing people as they go, him or her, just as they go through their days. They're, they're not, they don't have a day set aside. They're always available for divine, divine appointments. It may be a coworker, It may be somebody at Jewel Grocery Store. There may be a mom in the aisle of Jewel crying, and you go up to her and say, listen, I see you're crying. Is, it, is there anything I can pray for you about? Is there anything I can comfort you? It's a way of life. It's not an event. You really love the lost. Those are eternal rewards. Last one, two pastors. One that that comes up here to perform. He wants to speak in a way that you all go like this at the end of the sermon. And his goal is to get a bigger and bigger church. He wants to leave the inner city of Aurora and go out to the suburbs where the real money is. And by the way, that's me some Sundays. That's me some Sundays. Don't think I'm not. But the pastor that gets eternal awards is one that, that preaches. It's all Al's fault. Because we love God. And we love you. And you know what? We're going to tell you the hard truth, whether you can take it or not, because we love you enough to tell you the hard truth, because we want you to know the hard truth so that you can live the life differently than the world, so that you too will get rewards. So my point is, we go through life and we don't know. We can fool ourselves. We can fool a lot of people. And people may think certain people are getting a lot of rewards and other people aren't. And we won't know until we get to the day of judgment when it's all, let's get to the next text, when it's all burned up. The refining fire of Jesus. We're almost done. You're doing great. Each one's, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day of the Lord. will disclose it because he will reveal it by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Again, we can deceive ourselves. We can deceive others. But on that day, there will be no deception. We'll be standing in front of that beam of seed of Christ, and the purifying fire of Jesus Christ will burn away all that wood, hay, and straw, and only the very purified things we've done with the motivation of love for God and love for others will remain. Let me just bear with me here. A few verses to support this. I just love these. I just want to share them with you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due 
us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus himself said in Revelation 22, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I have the rewards with me. I'm bringing them from heaven down to earth. Here I come. I will give to each person according to what they've done. And Jesus also said in Matthew 25, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master, of your master. Do you see how important these eternal rewards are? Don't miss this. This determines our eternal position and our eternal work in heaven forever. You got that? It's not like something like here, about, oh, I, I got this trophy and I, I got a little pay increase. Those all, those, what, how long do those last? You're going to get an eternal reward that will determine your position and your work in heaven forever. It's worth pursuing, don't you think? Let me just encourage you with this, though. My, the man led me to Christ taught me this, that there will be some thimbles in heaven. There will be 12-ounce cup in heaven. There will be one-gallon jugs in heaven. There will be 55-gallon drums in heaven. All of them will be filled to the top. Why do I say that? It's because if some of us came to life uh, to Christ later in life, we haven't had a life of building rewards. No matter what size vessel we are when we get to heaven, we'll all be filled and fully satisfied Say, oh, I wish I had the cup. I'm just a thimble. I wish I was the cup. That doesn't happen in heaven. There's total peace. We, we're totally filled with eternal joy and, and love for God. But the idea is we want to work at building that vessel as big as we can before we get there, which determines our eternal work and our eternal position in heaven. You got it? All right. Then he closes with this. He just reiterates what we've been talking about. He says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, we will receive a reward. If any work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through the fire. Do you see that? I don't want to be him. Do you want to be him? You know what this picture is? Is that person smells like smoke. That's how close they were to the fire. They have no rewards. But... The, the, the beauty of this, the encouraging part, is there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you're truly born again, even the person that gets saved on their deathbed, they are secured in their salvation, which is really good news. But at the same time, we're not dead yet, so hopefully we're not going to be one of those that everything gets burned up, but that we gain some eternal rewards. What are, let me just give you a couple of the eternal rewards we see in, in Scripture. The crown of righteousness, which is given for faithfulness. The crown of exaltation, which is given for proclaiming the word of God. The crown of glory, which is given to, of service for the kingdom. And the crown of life, which comes from a deep love of the Lord. Those are some of the rewards that the Bible talks about. The eternal rewards of heaven. Okay, verse 16 says, Do you, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What's he saying there? Why do you bring that up? Here's the deal. Earthly rewards are dependent on a lot of things. Dependent on education, what family you were born in, your nationality, right? We, we, have, we have a lot of excuses for not having a lot of the things of the world that the world has, do we not? Justifiably, Right? Anybody with me on this? But what he's saying here is the very Spirit of God that lived in Paul lives in you. And I don't care if you're educated or uneducated, rich or poor, red, yellow, black, and white, 
It doesn't matter. You have the same power living at you that every apostle has ever had. So when you get before the throne of grace, I want to tell you right now, there's no excuses. Because you have every ability to store the same eternal rewards as anybody else does. That's what Paul's saying there. And then he gives one last warning shot here to the, in every church there's unbelievers, there's unbelievers here this morning. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He's just saying to the wolves and sheep clothing that are part of the church, always whispering, always trying to divide the church, always causing conflict, they profess Christ, but they're really not believers. He says, I will destroy them. They will face their day as well. Just a warning to those within the church of Corinth and within our church today, do not go there. One last one, application verse. I promise this is it. Sorry. Yeah, just this is kind of an application verse. It says that, that do you not know that in, in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Get that. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable reward. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat in the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Amen to that. See, here it is, brothers and sisters. One last application point. I'm sorry, I'm going to get in your kitchen a little bit. We're lazy. We're lazy people. We live in a time of prosperity. We all, here's the solution to a Christian life. Be a man or woman of the word. Be a man or woman of prayer. And engage in the fellowship of believers. Consistently. With an open heart for God to change you and mold you into the man or woman of God you want to be. But here's the problem. I can't find a lot of people willing to do that. They're all on milk. Here, Pastor Keith, I'm going to come on Sunday, spoon feed me to get me through the week. And I'll come back on Wednesday, give me my bottle so I can get through the next few days of the week. But brothers and sisters, it's that way every way. You know, I talked to my doctors and I said, you know, people come in here and I tell them they got some serious health issues. And to overcome these health issues, you're going to have to go on a diet and you're going to have to change your lifestyle. And you know what the next question is? Can you give me a pill? Can you give me a pill? Well, I can give you a pill that will take care of a lot of the things, but let me warn you, you could go blind. Uh, you're probably going to have diabetes. You could have a heart attack. You might die if I gave you this pill. What do they say? Give me the pill. I like my beef sandwiches too much. I'm not going there. Right? We, we, we would rather take a pill, and, and that's how Christian faith... I wish there was a pill I could give you that gave you biblical maturity. That, wouldn't that be nice? Every morning you take a vitamin which gives you biblical maturity. It doesn't work that way, just like it doesn't with your physical health. If you want to, if you want to become the man or woman of God you want to be, you're going to have to discipline your life like an athlete. And the good news is it's not a perishable reward, but it's an eternal reward if we do it. Let's go have lunch. Let me pray. Oh, wait, we're going to do communion. I'm sorry. Let me pray. Let me ask Jay and Jimmy, could you... Come forward, we'll have communion here. Let me pray for us, though. 
Father in heaven, we we thank you for this time in your word. I cry out to you, Lord, for anybody that is here this morning that has not surrendered the life to Jesus. The, The Holy Spirit's convicting them right now. They know they're not part of the family of God. A lot of what's been said today may be foolish to them, but they have a desire to be in the family of God. Lord, work on their hearts. Help them them to know all they need to do is surrender all to Jesus and trust him for the outcome. Help them to know that you're a good God, a loving God, a caring God, a merciful God, a gracious God, and to come into your family is the greatest blessing anyone can have. So we pray for them. And I pray for the believers in here, Lord. I pray for me and all the believers in here, that we would, we would take this truth serious and we would discipline our lives even more so, whatever it is now more so, not out of legalism, but out of love for the Lord, that we'd be serious about the word, serious about prayer, serious about the family of God. And Lord, that we would examine our lives to how much we're building our life on the wisdom of the world and the treasures of the world. Help us, Lord, please, in Jesus' name, amen.